0: Hey everyone, it's Elle. Before we start this week's episode, I've got a favor to ask. We've posted a link to a survey in the show description. This is our very first season of The Walk-In and we'd love to get feedback from you on what you're liking, what we could do better, and all that good stuff. It only takes a few minutes, so tell us what you think. And if you do, you'll get a 20% off coupon to the America's Test Kitchen online store. It's good for any cookbook, magazine, or digital download. So help us out and get 20% off. Now, on to the show. Every restaurant cook knows that the walk-in refrigerator is where you go when you need a moment to cry, to confide in a friend, or to collect your composure. It's the place where the pressure to appear in control falls away, where you're allowed to feel your feelings and get real about the hard stuff. From America's Test Kitchen, I am Elle Simone Scott, and this is the walk-in.
1: Hi, Al. It's Colleen.
2: And Clay from Black Food Folks.
1: Can't wait to talk to you about what we do with $50 million and about how we feel about Black joy.
2: And I'll be talking a little bit about photography if we have time. Looking forward to it.
0: Today, Colleen Vincent and Clay Williams are stepping into the walk in with me. Colleen works for the James Beer Foundation. She's the VP of Community, which means she's a literal pro at connecting people. Clay is a super talented food and event photographer. The two met through their work at the James Beard Foundation and hit it off immediately. They started getting together regularly for coffee and drinks, and through their conversations, they realized that they both knew tons of amazing and talented Black people in the culinary industry. But when it came to opportunities, people in the positions of power always claimed to have a hard time finding them. And that's how Black Food Folks was born. Black Food Folks is a fellowship of Black professionals in food and drink, promoting and supporting one another for mutual success. Their first event in February 2019 started as a casual get-together, but quickly grew into a big, joyous event attended by more than 100 Black food professionals. Today, I'm getting the full story from Clay and Colleen. It's time to step into the walk-in. Also, this conversation took place remotely, so please forgive some of the audio quality throughout. Clay, Colleen, thank you so much for joining me in the walk-in. How y'all doing?
2: Good. Thanks for having us.
0: Great. Thank you. Awesome. It's good to see you again. I haven't seen you since February when we were in New Orleans for the Resistance Serve Conference, so it's good to catch up. Y'all are in Brooklyn, right?
1: Yes, Yep. we are.
0: I'm so glad you're here. Again, um, I'll tell you a little bit about the walk-in. You know, Just like in the kitchen, the walk-in is where we go to talk out our problems. Sometimes we need to have a little meltdown. Sometimes we need to clear the air, and all those things happen in the walk-in, and that's kind of what we're going to do today. So, I hope you're ready to tell me your innermost secrets. That is my expectation. Everyone's quiet. I want to hear like, are we in agreement that we're talking about the innermost feelings? Sure.
2: We're good. Okay, yeah, great. Not
0: <laughs> okay, that's good. I have a buy-in. All right.
1: FIFO. First
2: in, first
0: out. So tell me, do you know what FIFO means?
3: No, what's
0: up? No. Okay. So, FIFO is a term that we use in the kitchen. FIFO is the system that we use in the walk in. When new food comes in, we rotate the old food, bring it to the front so that food gets used first before the new food gets brought up, right? So, it's kind of a rotation system. And that's how we start the walk in. We start with you telling us about who you are, where you come from. I want to know all your history. I want to know all the great things about you. And then I want you to tell me about what you're working on right now. And either of you can go first. We can either go by age, beauty, or a coin toss.
2: Well, Colleen is a full month and two days older than me.
1: (laughs) I am also more beautiful, so there.
0: (laughs) There, there you have it. All right, Colleen, you go first.
2: (laughs) Okay, so
1: where do I come from? I come from Brooklyn. I've been here since I was less than one year old. And I've lived here pretty much my entire life, mostly in Flatbush, although I did live in Bushwick for a little while, and I uh, went to college in Philadelphia for a while, but Brooklyn is my home. I hope that it remains so. I came to food by accident. It was never a top-of-line like, interest of mine, but when I was in college, I actually worked in dining services. Really? Yeah, hard labor mopping up a floor of a cafeteria that sat over a thousand people. Wow. And then doing the dishes. So I would do like lunch shift uh-huh. and dinner shift, which were the harder shifts. Breakfast was the easier shift because college kids don't wake up early.
0: They never do. I don't remember one breakfast in college, to be perfectly yeah.
1: honest. And so, you know, it was hard, but. At the time, I needed it. It gave me some discipline. It gave me some structure. It gave me a kind of an out of physical exercise that kind of overrides squirrel brain. Certainly was a lot of laundry, though. But, you know, I, you know, it was my first time working in food. And the first thing that, that I enjoyed about it was actually the camaraderie. You know, I had no interest in cooking for other people. And when I left that, I, I didn't think of it as I worked in food. But, like, two years after I graduated, I ended up working for one of the first online delivery sites Mm -hmm. called CampusFood.com.
0: Okay, so food tech
1: immediately after
0: college, basically. Okay.
1: So that was started by some people that went to the same college as I did but graduated just one year earlier. Mm -hmm. So there was only, like, two, three folks. So when I got there, you know, I had a lot of opportunity. So I was there for, like... Years mm-hmm. and I had this grand idea after going to Europe to some festivals that I was not going to work in food anymore.
0: <laughs> we all say that,
1: and so you know, end up working in like PR for a while, not for food though. Mm-hmm. Then I ended up at the James Beard Foundation as the reservations manager. So mm-hmm. somehow, some way, I came back to dealing with the public and food and food Mm -hmm. started developing appreciation for what food actually meant because food as something delicious sure i'm a tourist like we think food is delicious to a very disturbing degree but (laughs) an expression of culture Mm -hmm. and an expression of fellowship that's when i started to develop that particular appreciation So I started to learn what it could do in terms of bringing people together, in terms of like helping people form like consensus and having respectful but interesting discourse. Yeah. And then when I started working at JBF, I started realizing that chefs in particular were artists and that they and and mixologists and, and wine professionals were conveners of culture, but also creators of it as well. And so that's when I started to get that appreciation of food in and of itself as something that's far, far more than nutritious or fun. And then I started appreciating all the ways that food touches upon so many different aspects of the human experience. And certainly I've always had a fascination with the things that make the human experience valuable. So food is definitely one of those things.
0: Who are you, Clay? Tell us all about you.
2: I'm Clay Williams. I'm a food photographer. I have always loved food. I never really thought of it as being a career at all, but it was one of those things where it just kept coming to me. I'm also from Brooklyn. I've lived in New York all my life. I started my real fascination with food when I started learning to cook after college, And I started seeking out recipes. I started trying to figure out what tasted like what, like how do I do all this? It was a little bit of magic to me. So I I worked in technology. I was the IT guy um, who supported the editorial departments. I call that my previous life. I worked in technology for about a dozen years and cooking at home became like a regular thing for me. And then when... Brooklyn, the brand started happening, whatever the, 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 whatever. <laughs> the Brooklyn
0: popularization of Brooklyn, the borough, you mean? Like, Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh-huh. You know, with like the pop-up dinners and butchery classes and whole animal stuff and, yeah. and all that. I was out on that sort of scene and I was starting to write blog posts and, I started like taking photos along with it, documenting all the things that I uh, that I was coming across.
0: Yeah, Clay, but I, I take photos, and then you take photos. Those are two different kinds of photos. Like, well, so this is the
2: thing, right?
0: Okay, that's what I want. Tell me the thing. Give me the thing. So I started
2: out with just like sort of. I took photography classes when I was in high school, okay. but like I didn't really pursue it. Honestly. A lot of the photos were terrible, but it was (laughs) me starting to get into the idea of telling these stories visually as well as like actually writing things out. And so I, I was posting pictures on Flickr and folks who were launching blogs reached out to me and said, oh, hey, you're out there doing all this stuff, would you be interested in writing it up? And the photos came along with them. And Mm. sort of one thing led to another. And Well,
0: Clay, I remember meeting you. I remember when we met. I don't know if you remember this, but I think I do. Eater was hosting some events at like Brooklyn Brewery, and I think that was the first time we had met in person. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You were were doing the photography, and of course there Mm. were only like three Black people in the entire room. It was like, (laughs) you and like some other person. Mm. And we just were kind of like, Hey, you know, like what do you do? I think that was the beginning of our very first conversation about where are all the black people?
2: Right.
0: right? Not just the book, but in real life, like where are all the black people? And these events are great, but it would be even better if they were more diverse. Right. So I would imagine At this point, you are getting more and more saturated into the food world one way or another, either writing about it, capturing it in real time with your camera. You're a very intelligent person. I'm sure it was probably at this point you were noticing the trend of the lack, right?
2: Um, Yes and no. Mm -hmm. I went to private school here in Brooklyn. I went to... Small liberal arts college in Western Mass, I went to work in IT. Like, being the only one or one of you few in, in the room was not unusual for me. Yeah. And so, not to say that I was always comfortable with that, but that wasn't something that, like...
0: It was a standout. It was pretty common. Yeah. Same for you, Colleen, right? You also yeah. find yourself... Uh, me too. I'm often one of yeah. you. Yeah, right. Sure. So, I
2: mean, yes, I noticed that, yes, we, we would have these talks, but, like, you know, it was still sort of, well, this is the way this world is, right?
0: My memory's not the best, but tell me about when you met Colleen and then how you established your friendship and then quickly take me to when you all had the conversation that Black food folks should happen. I want to hear how Black Food Folks was
1: born. When I was working at JBF, I worked with Black people. My team and reservations, we were all, all three of us were Black, like behind the corner, Clay Nose, me, Chevy Marie, everybody in the kitchen, the house staff, all Black people, right? Mm -hmm. And because this wasn't like my scene and because my father is a raging social justice warrior, I noticed right away that something didn't look right to me. And I like to say things and Clay knows that I like to just say whatever. So I went to our president and VP at the time, I said, Oh, look at all this work we're doing. That's when we started having like salons that led to like the leadership awards and so forth. And I said to them, individually, I said, you know, the foundation, as I see it, is like a thought leader, like, why can't we pose a challenge for our industry to have diverse leadership, Mm -hmm. that is something we should be adamant about. Right. And while, you know, that percolated and I dropped the seed, but didn't necessarily have the actual power to do anything, Mm -hmm. what I started doing was in my limited role, talking to the people that I worked with and Mm -hmm. suggesting people to them as people we should elevate, people who should be cooking at the house. So that's when I got an opportunity to publicly like state facts and also to be one of the first people at the foundation to say, hey, this is a problem. Like we have a problem here because somebody asked me if race and food was a problem. I said race and food is not a problem. I said racism in food is the problem because you have all these people that are Mm -hmm. in the kitchens, answering the phone, cleaning up the space. Right. So in the course of reading everything, because I encourage everybody to expand their sources because somehow, some way, like Clay and I, yourself, and almost mm-hmm. every Black person we know in this industry is able to find not only one another, yes. but also other people of color. Mm-hmm. But somehow, magically, you know... No people- one else can find us. <laughs> no. Right,
2: right. As I was starting out, a friend and a bit of a mentor, Michael Harlan Turkel he had been shooting as a volunteer at the Beard Foundation for years. And he connected me with the foundation and and they started bringing me in the shoot in, I want to say 2013. Mm-hmm. And so I started shooting the dinners and it became a more regular thing. I started to get to know folks at the foundation, including Colleen. But in our roles, both of us are sort of in but not of the food community, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We bounce around a lot. We talk to a lot of different people. Like, we're not just one kitchen just connecting with the people that we work with. We are working with everybody. Mm -hmm. Colleen's connecting with folks from all over the country who are coming in to cook dinners and who are attending the dinners and all that. I was shooting events. I was shooting editorial stuff. I was... So I would be talking to event planners, I'd be talking to writers and editors and and chefs and stylists. And it was one of those things where we just sort of both separately had built our networks Mm -hmm. in the food community in general. But like, there was always like, there was always sort of the same conversation when we connected with other black folks in the community, because it was, man, we're the only ones here. Yeah, yeah.
1: And how is it possible that we find each other every time, but also we don't even have an opportunity to all be in the same room and, like, just celebrate one another? Mm-hmm. That limits our opportunities across the board because people are acting like we don't exist. Yeah, We are not congregating mm-hmm. to, like, share opportunities or advice or experience, but also we needed the emotional support. Like, I can speak for myself when I, you know, was in this position of being a person who had far outgrown the assigned responsibilities and having no person who saw me you know who could really see me yes it limited my opportunities for growth but it also did a number on my self-esteem quite frankly the wall slide
0: You know what, Colleen? I'm so glad you brought that up because this is kind of what I consider the wall slide moment of the walk-in, right? This is the moment when we go into the walk-in and we're just like, I can't take this anymore. Like, I've had it up to here. It's tearing away at me on the inside. And I feel like that's what you were going through at this point. Like, not only were you realizing what it was doing to your career and you weren't even directly involved in the culinary scene in terms of being a, a cook, or dealing with food or beverage directly, but you were also seeing how it was affecting those of us who were doing that job directly, right? So actually Black food folks was founded from the emotions stemming from your wall slide. Like those moments when you all were like, you know what, enough is enough already, right? So tell me what you did. Did you pick up the phone and call Clay and be like, Clay, you know what? I'm tired of talking about it. Let's be about it. Tell me how that conversation happened. I want to know that one word for word. How did it go?
1: Basically, Clay and I started doing what I call personally like uh, secret black conversations. <laughs> I have it. a lot of them. I have secret black conversations. People are like, yeah. let's go. And, and I still have them. Yes. And, you know, it's funny because it's like people always want to know. It's like, oh, no, I'm having lunch with this person. What are y'all going to talk about? Oh, we just catch it up. But really, it's like Black people are always plotting. I mean, if anybody white is listening to this, literally, we're plotting all the time. So all the things. How, the how things. to get on this thing, that thing, and the other thing. Yes. So yes. it's secret Black conversations. Mm-hmm. Clay was very insistent. He said, you know, I'm talking to people. And it's the same sentiment over and over again. Like, let's get people in a room. Let's get, people to, let's get people together. Like, we all need to talk. Like, mm-hmm. we need to have a grand-secret Black conversation.
2: And so, to me, the idea was really, like, I keep meeting these folks or keep talking to these folks, and and instead of onesie-twosie doing email introductions for these people, why don't we go get a couple drinks, get some people in the room? To me, my initial version of the idea that I came to Colleen with was, like, we can go invite like 20 or 30 people in the back of a bar somewhere and Mm -hmm. it's just like a social. We can, instead of like having these individual conversations, oh, you should talk to Ella, you should talk to Aaron, you should talk to Steve and you should talk to Colleen. It's like they're in the room and we can put them together and folks can do something from there.
0: When did you know that this happy hour of sorts of 20 people in the back of the bar was not happening and it was going to be 100 people at a restaurant? (laughs)
1: I'm going to jump in on this part. So Clay told me, when he told me all of these things, I was like, why don't we just have a space for us, Right. you know, for multiple reasons. But if we have a space that's for us, then we could do whatever we want in there. Mm -hmm. And so Clay made a list of people to invite, and I added people to the list to invite. Mm -hmm. And everybody kept saying yes.
2: Then those people started saying, oh, can I bring this person? (laughs)
1: Sure. <laughs> and then Clay started hyperventilating. Uh,
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Because this is the thing. I thought it was going to be like a relatively small group of folks that we get some people together. And every day, the spreadsheet of our list of who's interested and who's coming and all that mm-hmm. like kept growing. And we did end up with literally 100 people at our first event. And this was in February. Mm -hmm. Um, so not a time when a bunch of people go out. Right. And so one thing led to another and we ended up having this event and it was great. But the thing that was the light bulb moment for me was being there. Right. And that was when I saw the lie. Right. The lie that says, well, there aren't that many people. It's hard to find that many Black people in food. It's like, well, no. Who's
0: telling that lie? Let's be clear about that. Let's put that on the like, table.
2: Every editor, every promoter or PR person or event producer who puts together something where they have a carefully curated guest list. yeah, It's right? like they put in the work to get the right people in the room mm-hmm. and they somehow couldn't find Black folks couldn't find more than two to three black folks, right? Right, and that's including me, who's usually working it. So when I saw that, to me, that was the that was the moment. When it was like, oh, sh-.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I knew that we were here, but we put together our first event in less than two weeks,
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
2: entirely by word of mouth. Yep, and so with no plan and not a ton of effort, we could fill a room with 100 Black people. Yes. That means that everybody else was full of Yep. (laughs) Right?
0: That was the 100 Black people who could show.
1: Now we have like over 500 people Mm. on the mailing list. We
2: haven't even updated the mailing list since before the lockdown. So, and before everything else. We have 30 thousand followers on instagram now mm. and that's you know that's a whole other thing
1: i'm gonna just interrupt clay for a second i would never in doubt about how many black people were in the room or even in this industry and one thing that i do know is that if you tell black people about something they're gonna show up yeah. Why? because we all know what it's like yep. it's like we are brand loyal to black and particularly in an industry that pretends that people, I mean, to me it's pretending because I can't believe people are this oblivious. Yes, I agree. Especially in this country Mm -hmm. and especially in a city like New York, mind you, people who came, came from everywhere. Yes. That if you tell us, that something f- is for us and certainly in a lane that we're like interested in. We show up. We're going to show we up. We show up. That's we're right. Show up. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because we all know that it matters. I'm doing this, not just for me, mm-hmm. but for whoever else comes up behind me. And I think that as a people, that's our natural North Star. It's not about me, it's about us. Yeah. So as the list kept growing, yeah, I was thrilled because I was just like, whoa, I'm going to meet people that I haven't met in person, Mm -hmm. but I've heard about. I was really excited about that. And I was excited because I was just like, all right, we're all going to get into the same room. And this is where we get to talk. Yeah. Right? This is where we get to identify what our needs were. And you know what? Everybody's needs were very much related not to their career specifically, but to the community at large. Uh And that was the thing that was not only beautiful to hear, but inspiring. And I honestly thought that what was going to happen was that we were just going to keep having more gatherings. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I didn't know. In the first year, I was just like, let's just see what happens. Like, let's just see what happens.
0: Where was the first meetup held?
1: At my dad's office in Flatbush. So my dad like so many other West Indians has like multiple jobs. So he does taxes during tax season and then he has an event space the rest of the season. So he has this big, beautiful space. That's catty corner from the park prospect park. So he has a big backyard that the ground is now like paved over and there's a huge tree in the middle. So my dad literally built a tent with the huge tree as the center. Wow. So as Omar Tate put it, this was like looked like a revival. Yes.
2: I walked in and I was I realized this is a function. Yeah. The old West Indian folks, they would just say, Oh, I'm going out to a function tonight, right? Like yeah. that <laughs> was it. Like and it was exactly that. It's that sort of space. So it was like, oh, okay. When I got there, because I hadn't seen the space, Colleen was like, oh, we have a space, we have a space. And I'm like, is it going to fit everybody? Like, I didn't even understand it. And then I got there and I was like, oh, it's a function.
1: Yeah, we yeah. have a stage built and everything in yeah. there. Yeah. And people brought food and Clay was wrangling the food and he kept going, it's not going to be enough food. And I'm like, this is going to be a seven, you know, what is it, the five loaves and seven fishes moment? Like, it's going to be that.
0: Can I tell you a funny <laughs> thing? When I used to cater... And I would do food and sometimes I would look at it and I'd be like, this is not enough. I would make my whole staff like whole hands and we would say loaves and fishes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And
0: to make the food straight, I still do it to this day when I'm food styling. I'm like, "Okay, God, loaves and fishes here. Let's make it happen. I love that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, it's like he's talking to people and I'm like, he's talking to black people like there's going to be enough food. If people are bringing food, if you tell people. Like, somebody is always going to bring extra food. Yes. First of all, somebody who we weren't expecting to bring food is bringing food. But there was enough for everybody. And I think what we had more than enough of was enthusiasm and just, like, pure joy. Like, the photograph from that night that Clay captured... If you see everybody's face, it's just so happy where you don't have to, you don't have to code switch. Yes. Nobody's tone policing you. You could just talk the way you want to. You can just be how you want. Your hair is the way you want. You dress the way you want. You see your loved ones like that you haven't seen in a long time. It definitely was like, you know, it was the Black food folks like family reunion. Yeah, And it was just the most comfortable because honestly speaking, I'm the introvert of the two of us, meaning that. I don't like going to big functions, mostly Mm -hmm. because I have to leave after two hours. I'm tired. Yeah, I get burnt out. And that's just the way that I am. But to be able to, like, step back on the side and see all these, like, talented, beautiful, unsung heroes of our community talk to one another and meet one another and say, I heard about you. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad to like make your acquaintance. Yes. And then we stood on stage and we were like, who are the photographers? And people raise their hand. who are the writers? People raise their hand. Who are the mixologists? People raise their hand. Who are the event planners? People raise their hand. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not by myself at all. And Mm -hmm. I could literally build a whole event with people that are just in this room.
0: The Volrath Company has been making industrial cooking gear for 145 years, and they brought that long history to the table when they decided to launch Nuku, their line of cookware and bakeware for home chefs. Here's Jean Horvath, the vice president of custom and specialty products. With Nuku, it really gives them the confidence to explore their passion and focus on the joy that drives them to the kitchen. What we like to say is Nuku stands out by not standing in the way. Don't let subpar cookware stand in your way. Nuku Cookware and Bakeware is available on Wayfair and at select specialty retailers and cooking schools. Through the month of October, enjoy a special promo when you visit Nuku.com and enter promo code KITCHEN at checkout for 35% savings off their stockpots. That's nucu.com, promo code KITCHEN. For me, the decision to go to culinary school was life-changing. It put me on track to achieve dreams I didn't even know I had. Like, for example, hosting a podcast about the culinary industry. The Auguste Escoffier School of Culinary Arts is in the business of dream-making. Their programs prepare students for a variety of roles in the food world in the most achievable way. They've got campuses in Boulder and Austin, Plus, online programs that include industry externships. Check out Escafier.edu to learn more. That's E S C O F F I E R.edu. I want to ask you about Black Joy. I was sharing this concept of black joy with my producer Caitlin and describing to her what how it's something that we often have to curate for ourselves in this country, right? I mean, not that we don't have like daily moments of joy in our black bodies and our black cells, but black joy is I think I realized that it is a, a truly usually for us a truly curated experience. When I was looking at Clay's photos from Resistance Serve Conference in New Orleans even the parts that were very difficult to consume at the conference because there were a lot of heavy issues there mm-hmm. was still this sense of joy and gratitude amongst us all to like be in the same place together you know to be experiencing these conversations about the industry as we relate to it together like these moments of black joy i feel are curated and do you feel a certain responsibility or an obligation or or is it just a part of your joy black joy to create those opportunities for us in the culinary industry.
1: I can't fully speak for Clay, but I do know when I look at his photographs that he loves black people. Mm -hmm. And the things that I do is because I actually love black people. And no matter what, certain, like, internet websites where people, like, talk a lot of toxic mess, whatever. Mm -hmm. I can feel that Black people love each other. Yes. Like, we love one another. The fact that we can be happy. I mean, Issa Rae said it. She's like, I'm rooting for everybody Black. She just said something that we've all, like, since I was a little kid, and even now, I'm just like, are there Black people in that show? Like, I'm not going to watch it if they're not there. Why? Because I want to see Black people win. Yep. And I want to also see us enjoy... Ourselves. Yes. I mean, the fact that, like, you know, people are like, oh, we gotta buy from black people, we're gonna buy black. I'm like, we've been doing that. Yeah. We've been doing that. <laughs> you know, it's just the way that we are. And like I said, the way Clay's photography is stunning in and of itself, but the reason that he can capture us so beautifully is that he actually loves us. Mm-hmm. It shows. In the work that he does. Oh, we love you too, Clay. We love you. We love you, Colleen.
0: Thank you so much. I love, thank you. I appreciate that love. Us, I do. You
1: know? Yeah. And it gives us the energy to keep, you know, not just me as individual or Clay as an individual. It's what gives us the energy to keep fighting for one another when we know. Yeah. part the. I mean, what's happening now? Like, it's all great. And, you know, it's really whatever. But Clay and I have the same mind. Like, we're still going to keep doing this. After everybody, we go out of style or whatever, we're going to do this because this is, we're in this. We're like in this. Not just like, oh, we're Black, we're in this, but we genuinely want to see Black people win and prosper. Like that's how we feel about it.
0: So we're moving out of just our genuine love for each other, not the popularization of being Black that often accompanies tragedy in the Black community, like our community losing George Floyd, amongst many other young or older Black people in this country who are consumed by police violence, et cetera. So, you know, we're in it for the long haul. We are Black all day, every day. Right. And it is our daily experience. And we are not motivated one way or another or deterred by the popularization of being Black. Right. When we know that people are really just trying to, I mean, some people are, are legitimately trying to make efforts and change but then there are also people yeah. who are kind of moving out of their conscience Right. not so much out of um, uh, I don't know I, I don't want to say um, that insincerity or something like that but just making the political move that they feel like they need right. to make now so yeah I definitely dig that
1: political move and some people you know and you can tell the difference there are people that think mm-hmm. that we're, we're deficient like the poor the poor black people the poor black people like, <laughs> Right, It's like, no, we just need people to get out of our way. Like, get out of our way. That's it. Yeah, step aside. Just get out of the way. But so you can tell the people that are genuinely like, oh, you know, like, I need to be part of this because this is something meaningful. But Mm -hmm. there's people that are part of it because they're like, I mean, literally, I had a weird Karen moment the other day where I went to pet this woman's dog. No, she was not wearing a mask. And when I look up, she says. It's so terrible what's happening to you people. Now, this woman is a hundred, she's like 102 years old. Do you think she didn't know what was happening before?
0: Yeah, she's been here for all of it.
1: She's been, she saw it all, but somehow now it's marketed to her as, I'm so sorry what's happening to you people, and also like not for her responsibility in it. And Mm -hmm. so, like, all these weird conversations where people don't have the language, don't have even the right kind of empathy yes it's like I just you know I brush them off my shoulder because I realize like y'all are gonna not y'all some of y'all are gonna forget about it tomorrow mm-hmm. but what Clay and I are doing which is centering our people who are experts not only in their own experiences but also in their own crafts they're all experts that we're gonna continue to do that yeah no matter which way the wind blows That's because right. this is you know it gives us joy to see how people win That's right. I mean, you know, if somebody wants to give us like $50 million and then move out the way, sure, we'll take the money because we want to see people win. We genuinely look at our people Mm -hmm. and say, this person is a genius. This person is brilliant. This person has devoted how much time, energy, and effort to what they do. And that's their passion. Yeah, And we want them to be able to continue to do their passion, whether or not they are trying to doing it just out of love, doing it to like support themselves, whatever. We want them to to continue to be able to pursue their passions. And we want to make sure that they always have a platform, no matter what else happens, always a platform to talk about, to express, to share their passions with the world. So we even have conversations with each other. Like, you know, we have siloed conversations still, those secret black conversations with other people in the community to make sure that the work that everyone is doing is supported, no matter what our you know, whatever benefactors say. Yes. And then also to keep the on brand or on code that you are supporting, you are helping, you're an ally, but you're not in charge of. Yes. You're not the topic. Yes. You will never be the topic. And if for some reason something happens to you, we're still gonna be here.
0: That's great. I was just going to ask you what you thought the future of the Black Food community is, but that is exactly the answer that I'm looking for. That is the process that I'm hoping for. And I'm glad that we have Black Food Folk community to make sure that we all stay on mission and on brand. And I'm so glad you all are a resource for that. A moment in the walk-in. So this is a moment in the walk-in where we have our listeners submit a question for our guests. It's called a moment in the walk-in. We have a question for you um, from Joelle. Joelle says, how do you make a case to the CEOs and execs at a company that real crucial change requires financial investment? We hear a lot about audience growth as a buzzword, but I want to know, for real, how do you convince people to raise salaries and fundamentally reconsider how a company runs? This is definitely your wheelhouse, Colleen. I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about it.
1: First things first, I will say that knowing your worth is something that can be really hard. I say it as both like a woman and as a Black person, like knowing your full worth, especially when you work for the man. For such a long time. So, therapy helped with a lot of that. But this moment is pretty opportune. And, you know, sometimes you guys got to be straight up. I mean, Nicole Taylor just wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times about NDAs. Don't sign those, first of all. Don't sign them. I have only signed one ever in my lifetime. It is long expired. Fortunately, it was not a place I was treated badly. But you just let them know, like, this is the power of the black dollar. And, I as the most visible or one of the black people in this organization can have the power to like open the closet wide open right now mm-hmm. like wide open let them know that the value of your experience is not from being black it's from what you do and your ability to have that double consciousness that uh, W.E.B. Du Bois talked about mm-hmm. like I can think about my people cuz we think communally but I also know the mainstream culture. And quite frankly, like black people are the culture of the United States. The black dollar drives the United States. And if you're not showing up, you are going to miss out. And a lot of people like it's taking a lot of, a long time for people to catch up, but they don't understand that black people know how to use social media. And that's how we've been able to connect with one another. And we know who all the bad actors are. And not only that, we have people in the community that can amplify who the bad actors are, but if you pay us what we are worth and what our worth and value are, then we can be some of your greatest assets and greatest champions.
0: Amen. Absolutely.
1: And don't let these people tell you that they can't do this, that, the other. You know In this day and age, you can find financials all over the place mm-hmm. and review and make a case for yourself. You know, what's really great right now is that that, the publishing paid me moment that was happening on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, I have some feelings about how some of the things have been hijacked by other people of color, not on purpose, not because of whatever. But the fact of the matter is these conversations were started by black women um, to make a point. But at the same time, we can use the power of our multicultural community Mm -hmm. to amplify each other's voices and to say, hey, look. We are your present and your future. And if you are not socially responsible, ethically responsible, fiscally responsible to us, you no, know we can do? You'll lose. Yeah, yeah you'll lose because we will go and do our own thing and leave mm-hmm. you out. You'll be left out.
0: Yeah. That's good advice, Colleen. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. All right. So, um... Clay, Colleen, it's been such a pleasure. As usual, every time I talk to you both, I learn so much, not just about each of you, but also about myself and my responsibility socially and professionally to Black food folks, not just the organization, but all the folks. I take it very seriously. I really honor you for coming into the walk-in with me and sharing so many intimate things. It's been really great having you. Thank you so, so much.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is fantastic.
1: It has been fantastic, although Clay still hasn't told us what he puts in his hair.
2: <laughs>
0: Juices and berries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for y'all don't know, that's a Coming to America reference. If you haven't seen it, yes. get on it, please. <laughs> Go watch it, everyone. It's on Netflix, I think. <laughs> Thanks again so much. Thank you,
1: Elle. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much. We had a great time.
0: If you want to learn more about Clan and Colleen's work with Black Food Folks, check them out on social media. They are at Black Food Folks on Instagram and Twitter. They'll have a website up soon, too. That's blackfoodfolks.org. You should also be sure to subscribe to their newsletter. It's an incredible resource for everything happening with Black culinarians, from the books we're writing to the food we're making to the events we're curating. It's so informative and inspiring. We dropped a link for you in the show notes. If you want a moment in the walk-in, send us your questions. You can email us at walk-in at americastestkitchen.com. You can send anything you need advice on, from the personal to the professional and everything in between. I'll only use your first name on the show for privacy. That's walk-in at americastestkitchen.com. One more quick thing. If you like The Walk-in and you want more of these real, raw, unfiltered stories and conversations about the food world, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And while you're there, why not tell us how you feel? Leave us a rating or write us a review. It really helps other people find the show.
3: The Walk In is created and hosted by my daughter, Elle Simone Scott. Today's show was produced by Caitlin Kelleher. Our producers include Hen Margolis, Caroline Rickard, and Sarah Joyner. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Our theme music was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Nina Gallant shot the cover art. Olivia Sheldon and Daniela Barrera brought the design. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Ivana Strahan is our intern. Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors, Blue Shield California, NuCou, Room & Board, Escafier, Samuel Adams, Berkshire Bank, and Valley Fig Growers. The Walk-In is a production of America's Test Kitchen.
0: If you love The Walk-In, then I have a treat for you. We've just launched a companion video series on YouTube. We take snippets from my conversations here on the podcast and animate them with beautiful collages full of photography and custom artwork from some of the flyest up-and-coming artists. It's hard to describe, but you've got to check it out for yourself. Time to get those eyeballs engaged. There's a link in the show notes.